the price increases are real, it's causing real damage, but it's nothing the Fed can do anything about. Now, but you get every day, you get a little closer to that demand pull. You get a little closer to that change in psychology. We're not there yet, but if this uh, supply side inflation persists, um, we may get there and then, then forget it. Now you're, now you're on your way to 15% inflation. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview between Stephanie Pomboy and Jim Rickards. If you haven't yet watched part one of Stephanie's discussion with Jim, in which he explains why he fears a recession and a liquidity crisis, similar to what we experienced in the 2008 global financial crisis, may lie ahead. Well, then head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthian and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. We'll also tell you how to claim the remaining 15% discount to register for the Wealthian online fall conference on Saturday, September 24th, which is coming up soon. So be sure to stick around for that. Okay, let's get started watching part two of Stephanie Pomboy's interview with Jim Rickards. Which kind of brings us to the question of if the destruction is going to be so much greater um, and the Fed, in my view, I don't know what your view is. How do they respond to that when it's clear, you know, when the market's down, let's say 50 percent, the economy is in a severe recession, not just some two quarter brief affair. Um, I presume the Fed will then pivot. Um, or and what is your view? It seemed to me like they not only pivot, but they are going to have to print more money than we've ever seen before. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I didn't say, I've never said that the Fed will, will never pivot. My point was they'll pivot too late. They'll pivot. They won't pivot when the market expects. Right now, the expectation, maybe it's cooled off a little bit, but the expectation was that the pivot would come as early as January or February 2023. Right. Or some people were even saying December 2022. And that's what that's the signal that the inverted euro dollar futures curve is sending. But as I said, it doesn't mean the Fed gets them. Are they, is the Fed looking at euro dollar futures? I don't think so. I think they're looking at the Phillips curve, which is a joke. Um, or looking at the unemployment rate, which is misleading. Um, you know, and I love it when the employment report comes out and says, you know, uh, wages were up 5% on an annualized basis. It's like, yeah, that's nominal and inflation's eight. Okay. So you're down three. People are losing money. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, yeah, the Fed will pivot eventually, but um, it'll be too late. It'll be after the damage is done, after we're in a deep recession, mm -hmm. unemployment rising. Because remember, they've, they've baked higher unemployment into the pie. When unemployment starts to go up, and I believe it will soon, they're going to say, yeah, we told you, you know, we told you there's going to be some pain uh, and starting from, and they only look at the unemployment rate. They're not looking at labor force participation, which we talked about. So if unemployment goes from uh, three and a half to four, four and a quarter, four and a half, that is not going to be enough to dissuade the Fed. That's not going to get them to stop um, raising rates because they're only worried about inflation. Now there's some level where they, where they'll care, but, is that six? I mean, it might be. It might be six percent. But when we get to six percent unemployment, we're on our way to eight. I mean, that not, that's where things are. The wheels are coming off. So um, uh, the, the inverted yield curves are signaling January. The Fed's not looking at them. The Fed doesn't care. The Fed doesn't understand them. The Fed will, has got one goal in mind, which is to kill inflation. Good luck starting at eight. Um, and by the way, we haven't even talked about the fact that this inflation is cost push. It's coming from the supply side. Uh, which is completely different than the demand side. Of, I, mean, I, I lived in the 70s. Um, it started as cost push with the Arab oil embargo and quadrupling of oil prices, but it flipped into demand, what's called demand pull, which yeah. was, you know, that's a little more like too much money chasing too few goods mm -hmm. in the late 70s. So we had both, but we had them sequentially. Right, right now, we only have cost push. We have supply shocks, um, by the way, I'm, I'm shameless about plugging my new book, uh, Sold Out, uh, but my, my book is coming uh, November 29th is a publication date that's available for uh, pre-order. But it's a book, It's a, it, as the name applies, it's a book about the collapsing supply chain, but it has chapters on inflation, uh, three chapters on the supply chain, and then inflation, and then talks about deflation, which may 
we haven't even talked about that, but they may, they may be the real danger. But, um, and, I, and I wrote most of it, uh, it's pretty, it's very fresh because I've been able to update it, but I mo wrote most of it uh, last, uh, finished uh, kind of around the end of February. People go, well, Jim, if you finish the book in February, how come it's not coming out in, uh, till November? And I say, well, my book about the supply chain is being held up by the supply chain. Because <laughs> there's, there's no paper. Wow. The paper comes from Finland. Uh, my, my literary agent said, uh, she said, Jim, I, I have an author. His book is printed, but it's done. But they can't ship it because there's no cardboard for the boxes. Um, and then you got truck drivers, uh, ink delays. I mean, seriously, the, the printing wow. publishing supply chain is broken down. But it'll be out in, in November. But, but I... I talk about this, uh, but here's the, um, um, but so, so right now, uh, the inflation is coming from the supply side, it's coming from energy price increases, which are obvious shortages. And the problem in Europe, uh, I, I wrote the other day, I said, there comes a time when the price doesn't matter because you can't get the energy at any price where it's mm -hmm. actually, there, there actually isn't any bid, whatever you want, but there just isn't any and Europe's getting, close to that point. But as far as monetary policy is concerned, the Fed doesn't drill for oil. The Fed doesn't drive a truck. The Fed doesn't plow farms and pick corn and all that stuff. They can't do anything about it. What they can do is destroy demand. But because it's not coming from the demand side, you've got to do like twice as much destruction to really cool off the supply side. So, um, and as I say, in the 70s, it, it did flip. And again, going back to the narrative thing, um, where, uh, you know, cost uh, demand pull inflation is scary because you, what you, the name comes from the fact that you're pulling demand forward. And I remember in the 70s, if you wanted a, a new car or refrigerator, you said to yourself, I better go buy it now because it's going to be more expensive three months from now or six months. It's going to really going to cost me a lot if I wait. That is not true today. That has not kicked in. The inflationary expectations are not up that much. People are, are feeling the price increases. It's you know, real CPI. There's no doubt about that. But it people have tended to say, yeah, that's really bad. Uh, and if I got to, you know, the demand for gasoline is kind of inelastic if you got to go to work or drive your pickup truck or whatever. But the way people afford it is they say, well, we're not going out for dinner this weekend. or I'm not going to buy a new winter wardrobe or uh we're not going to take a vacation so you you do destroy demand in other sectors more elastic sectors than than oil uh than, than gas and, and diesel um but but the, you know, the price the price increases are real it's causing real damage but it's nothing the fed can do anything about now but you get every day you get a little closer to that demand pull you get a little closer to that change in psychology we're not there yet but if this uh supply side inflation persists um we may get there and then then forget it now you're now you're on your way to 15 percent inflation yeah you know that uh, that unique nature of the inflation is why i've been so incredibly bearish on corporate profits because they have no choice but to pay those inputs as well as you know in terms of filling up your gas tank consumers their ability to pass them on to consumers who have real incomes that are negative, you know, it is limited. So it would just seem like the worst possible combination for margins. And yet I look every Friday at the update for uh, analyst estimates for S&P earnings, and they're still not only positive, the consumer discretionary earnings, they forecast up 16% this year. I'm right. just trying to figure out <laughs> where, where they get those numbers from. Well, well, here, here's another irony, having just resurfaced from a Deep, deep dive in the supply chain. Uh, there's something called the bullwhip effect. But, but so go back to last November when, the, when you know, their shelves were empty. Not, not every single shelf in every single store, but selectively, where's the paper towels? Where's the hot sauce or whatever? And, and you just couldn't get stuff. Uh, and that's still true. It, it's moving around a little bit. It's going from like, you know, cream cheese for cheesecakes to baby formula, which is much more serious, but, but you can't, still can't get the baby formula. Um, so what did retailers and what did distributors do and wholesalers? Well, they said, I'll triple my order. Right. Because I can't get any or I can't get enough. So I'll triple my order. Well, now all of a sudden, some of the bottlenecks are being relieved. These, the triple shipments are showing up, but the demand has collapsed for reasons we've discussed. 
So now the, the warehouses have gone from empty to being full to the rafters, but you can't sell the stuff because the economy's slowing down. So what do you do? You cut prices a lot. And uh, first of all, you don't order anymore. So that feeds back to the factory level. So shutting down the factories, and we're seeing that in China. Um, but but it's very expensive to maintain inventory because you got to finance it. Uh, and interest rates are going up. We talked about that. So what you do is you cut prices. So tell me what that does for retail margins. Well, and the interesting thing is in the first two quarters that we had negative GDP, we had this massive inventory overhang and it's barely come down because demand has been destroyed so much. So they're trying to cut prices and move this inventory. But there's still a mountain of inventory out there um, that has yet to start to, you know, hit those margins, which will happen, I guess, in the second half. Right. But I mean, now I feel like we're we're getting extremely deep into the bear cave at this point. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, you've been so great. It's been an hour, and I could go on for five more. And before we wrap, I really wanted to touch on this because I I saw one of your videos about um, this potential for the central bank digital currency and this order that Biden, this executive order. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's absolutely terrifying to me. Um, if what we talked about up to this point wasn't scary enough, I guess people will lose sleep after after this. But can you give a brief synopsis of what you see coming there? Do you think well, it's really going to happen? I guess would yeah. be. I would, I put it differently, Step. I, I would say not only is it really going to happen, it's happening. So I, you know, I have a lot of forecasts and some people roll their eyes like, oh, Jim, interesting, but it's never going to happen. I was like, no, it's happening and, and you can document it. So, um, so central bank digital currency is not a cryptocurrency. Um, it's issued by a central bank. It's not going to be on the blockchain. Could be, but it, it, it's not. It's going to be, it has to be a ledger. Uh, but basically a, a, central, a, um, a digital dollar, central bank digital currency, a digital dollar is still a dollar. A digital euro is still a euro a digital yuan is still a yuan. So it's not really a new currency. It is a new payment channel. It is a new way of distributing the currency. And by the way, the rollout of the central bank digital currency, and this, this just to kind of answer your question on the executive order, the, China's gone full speed ahead. China already has one that's in the pilot program stage. If you were at the Winter Olympics in you know, last January or February, rather, you had to you know buy your tickets and your meals with the with a QR code on your iPhone, which was a digital yuan. Um, and Europe is not quite there yet, but they're moving very fast, very fast. The US was taking their time. The Fed was conservative. They had a joint research project with MIT. They're like, oh yeah, we can kind of see this coming, but we're the dollar and we wanna take our time. That changed with that executive order. This has now been put you know, full speed ahead. This has been accelerated because the Fed sees the you know, the horse is leaving the barn, so to speak, and they want to get their digital dollar out very quickly. Now, this goes hand in hand with the elimination of cash. Kind of a separate subject, but our friend Ken Rogoff, you know, the curse of cash, just get that book and read it because it, it, there's the manifesto for getting rid of cash. What do they have to do with each other? Well, when you have a central bank digital currency, and by the way, just for bank stock investors or maybe MasterCard, um, you can disintermediate the entire banking system with a digital currency. So the way right now I go to buy, you know, I bought a candy bar in an airport yesterday, I use a credit card. Well, so I'm the customer, buy the candy bar, pay for it with a credit card. The retailer has a receivable and there's a, a factor called the, the merchant acquirer. Merchant acquirer bundles up all these receivables from retailers in the hundreds of millions. So they buy them, retailer gets paid. They then deliver them to MasterCard or Visa and say, pay me, MasterCard and Visa, pay the merchant acquirer. Then the merchant acquirer, uh, sorry, the, the MasterCard and Visa distribute the receivables to the banks that issue the card. And then my bank sends me a bill and I pay the bill. You got five counterparties for one candy bar. So you got the retail customer, the retail outlet, the merchant acquirer, MasterCard, and the bank, the issuing bank. Uh, and the fees are like 3%. So do we need five? financial intermediaries or system participants and 3% fees to buy a candy bar, the feds would say, no, I have an account at the fed. And so do you. And if I'm, if I owe you money, I just click my account and it shows up in your account. It's like Venmo for, except the feds in the middle. Now the fed won't actually disintermediate 
it just intermediated the banks because the Fed was created in 1913 for the sole purpose of propping up the banks. Uh, they, they forget forget about dual mandate and all this green, you know, energy, all that stuff. They're just there to prop up the banks, and that's what they do. But but it will have profound impact on on fees and Mastercard. So so it's better, faster, cheaper, um, and less complicated in theory. So that's that's the case for the digital currency. Okay, let's talk about the reality. So now we have. Um, I always say, if you want to slaughter pigs, you got to get them into the slaughterhouse, but you got to run them in a chute. You can't, they can't be running around wild. You get, get them in a chute, get them in the slaughterhouse and kill them. So if you want to slaughter savers uh, and investors, you got to get them into the digital slaughterhouse. And the way you do it is with a digital currency. So no more cash. Now we're all digital. Um, what can we do? Negative interest rates. Okay. Right now, the solution for negative interest rates, I just go down to the bank and take all my money out and put it in a suitcase and bury it in the backyard or whatever. Um, by the way, it's not so easy to get your money out. That's a whole separate thing we don't have time for, but you, you can. So you have to eliminate cash if you want to if you want to impose negative interest rates. Why stop there? Why not withholding taxes? So if you have like a, a regular job, like most Americans, you get a paycheck, you know, twice a month or whatever. They withhold your employer withholds taxes from your paycheck and gives it to the United States Treasury. And then at the end of the year, you get a W-2, you file a tax return, you reconcile it, and you know you owe, you get a refund. But that's not true for doctors, lawyers, dentists, professionals, consultants. Uh, it's not true for a lot of people. They get paid gross, and it's up to them to file their own, you know, to pay their own installments. And uh, you know, most people do, but they kind of at their at their will. Um, well, what if the Fed, what if the Treasury said, you know what, we're just going to take it out of your bank account? You know, and same thing. We're just going to take it out of your bank account, send you a new form of, you know, uh, CBDG, uh, um, CBDC, uh, Central Bank Digital Currency 1099, you know, with the amount we took out of your account. Oh, okay. So now you got withholding taxes at your bank account. Um, this is the culmination of the total surveillance state. So right now we're all under surveillance through our phones, right? And so you go, oh, big deal. You're at the point of purchase. They already know it because you got your iPhone on. Yeah, but they don't know what I'm buying. Uh, MasterCard might, but the U.S. government doesn't. Um, but now if my currency transaction has to go through the Fed, they know I just bought a book like I love Ron DeSantis, you know, where, you know, the why why or why Donald Trump is great or uh, <laughs> campaign contribution. I give some money to Elise Stefanik. Oh, she's on the on the semi-fascist list, you know? Right. So right. All, all of a sudden you're, um, what, a, 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 well, according to Biden, you're a semi-fascist um, with his, you know, Lenny Reifenstahl backdrop and his uh, uh, right. you know, speech God. the other day. We, we, we can stop there. Oh. Um, but uh, so I'm on the wrong side of that trade. And um, all of a sudden they're freezing your account. Um, gun purchase, nah, sorry, it doesn't work for that. Uh, ammo doesn't work. Um, and it used to be, and I, what about your constitutional rights? Well, so somebody said to me the other day, well, if they really want to know what you're buying, they can find that out. Not really. You got to get a subpoena. You got to subpoena MasterCard and, and you need a reason under the, um, the Fifth Amendment. And it has to be a reasonable narrow scope under the Fifth Amendment. And you're entitled to protection against unreasonable search and seizure from uh, under, under the Fourth Amendment. Um, sorry, those other references should have been to the Fourth Amendment. There were, but your Fifth Amendment rights are invoked also, uh, confiscation of property without uh, compensation, et cetera. So, um, you know, Second Amendment right to bear arms, First Amendment freedom of speech. Well, all those things only work if uh, if the government is trying to impose them on you. But they're saying, oh, we're not doing that. We're just freezing your bank account over here. So, total surveillance, withholding taxes, negative interest rates. Um, freeze the account, seize the account, um, and then it, and then just I'll keep going. Okay, digital currency is programmable. Please, please don't. Yeah, well, I know, I know. I'm not a doom and gloomer, but, but I am a realist. Um, uh, it's programmable. So now, so Trump had fourteen hundred and six hundred dollar COVID relief checks, and Biden had a fourteen hundred. We all get a fourteen hundred dollar check, right? But what it's but now they'll send it out in a digital form and they'll say um, it's only good for 30 days, you know, because we're we're a little it, you know, use it or lose it. Uh, we're a little bit worried about aggregate demand here. So we're giving you the money, but you got to spend it in 30 days or it disappears. 
um, or just do it to your bank account. It doesn't even have to be a new check. You know, we're going to, we're going to hit whack your bank account, you know, 1% a month, not, not as a negative interest rate, but just, but if you spend it, we won't. So um, the applications of this are horrendous. It's all straight out of George Orwell. Um, and if you take away cash, then you don't have a work. At that point, the only workaround um, is, is gold, silver, and, and real estate's a good store of wealth. I think it'll do well, but um, you can't spend it. So, but gold and silver, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so the question that when sorry, I was saying, will it happen? I guess what I should have been more specific is the outlaw of cash is critical to this. I mean, the CBDC is one thing. And as you acknowledge, a lot of governments are already working on this and the Fed's been probably late to that party. But the outlaw of cash, that's the part that I kind of have that ray of hope that there's just no chance they're going to be able to do that without massive civil backlash. Um, what's your view on that? Well, I agree with that. We uh, First of all, the, hist the history of money is interesting, you, you know, as you know, but people are really good at inventing new forms of money if the old forms don't work. And it's not just the collapse of confidence or you know, the gold standard or whatever. It's just like in the, in the Great Depression, there wasn't enough money. So towns minted uh, wooden nickels. You know, when I was a kid in the 50s, they said, don't take any wooden nickels. Like, oh, I haven't seen any. But in the Depression, they were, it was legal tender, not legal tender, but people accepted it. Um, and so people will find a way to, uh, to, to create new forms of money. So if, um, if they outlaw cash and everything's digital and they're doing all the nasty things I described and, and worse, and, and, and by the way, Steph, um, again, just to, uh, I'll be really brief, just to give concrete examples. In China, everyone has a health code. It, it's digital QR code, you're red, yellow, green. Red means you have COVID, green means you're okay. Yellow means you have a test, but you're awaiting results. But everything you can do is affected by that. If you're red, you cannot get on a train. You cannot buy a plane ticket, you know, et cetera. So, okay, then separately, a mortgage in China, the way it works is you take out your mortgage, you sign the mortgage note and the money, and you put your down payment down, but there's no house. They then use the money to build the house and deliver it to you. But people get mortgages on houses before they're built. In effect, you're financing the developer. Well, what happened was the developers stole all the money and they got all these unfinished houses. But the banks are saying, hey, you still got to pay the mortgage. Sorry, you signed up. So now there are mortgage strikes in, in China and they're spreading. So about a month ago, a bunch of Chinese from one province were going to take a train to another city to join a mortgage strike protest. Guess what happened? The health authorities switched their codes from green to red. They switched the COVID codes, nothing to do with the mortgages, but once it was read, you wow. couldn't join the protest. Okay. Five days ago, the state utilities in the state of Colorado took control of people's thermostats externally. You know, and I uh, I got one, I feel like smashing it with a sledgehammer, but uh, I like the old the analog dials, you know. Um, but people go, I got this wonderful digital um, thermostat. I can be in my vacation house and going home and I can set the temperature to comfortable from 200 miles away. And it's like, yeah, if you can do it, somebody else can do it. That's the point. And this is the internet of things, but the internet of fascist things. And so um, those people, those thermostats are locked at 79 degrees. They can't get to air conditioning. Of course, California said we're banning uh, internal combustion engines in 2035. You got to buy electric vehicles. And five days later, they said, by the way, don't charge them because we're, we're, so my point is, this is I, all happening. Um, I rented a car the other day, I was down doing some filming and uh, on the Baltimore Washington Expressway, you know, 295. And you know, I drive a certain way, the car's got a governor. It's a Ford, uh, I think an Escort or something, like a small SUV. Um, and there's a light flashing, you reach maximum speed. And I'm like, I to the robot, I said, that's what you think watch this. And it didn't, I, I floored it and put two hands on the way and it wouldn't go over 80. Just, it, so oh, I had a robotic <laughs> governor on my car. It's like, okay, but that's dangerous. You know, you, you're merging guys on 78, you want a little oomph to get ahead of them. Yeah. Um, so, but this is happening and it's happening to money and it will, this is the secret hidden agenda of the digital currency. It's all true. I can give you concrete examples. It converges as you described with the elimination of cash get ready and we can only hope that we can maybe get some new politicians or find ways to resist. 
Say amen. Let's hope. I'm, there has to be some hope out there on the horizon. I, I, but, I agree. <laughs> Jim, you've been fantastic. I have so enjoyed this. Again, I could go on for days, but uh, you and I will have to catch up offline at some point and uh, we can exchange growls. But you've been um, really a trooper to go through this with me and I greatly appreciate it. And uh, for all of you who um, have been watching this and enjoyed it, uh, Adam would love it if you would hit the like button and uh, subscribe to future videos like this. Um, and hopefully we'll get Jim back and he can regale us with more astonishing tales of doom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Have a great weekend, Jim. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. You too. Well, all right. Now's the time when the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion to both react to what uh, Jim and Stephanie just discussed, as well as talk about what the markets have been up to since last week. I'm joined as usual by lead partners, Mike Preston and John Lodra. Guys, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, let's dive right in. Jim had a lot to say. So let's see. Um, John, why don't we start with you and then we'll come to you, Mike. Hi, Adam. Good to be with you again. Um, Really enjoyed uh, having two really rock stars and, and uh, uh, very well-known commentators come together in your absence, Adam. Uh, Stephanie uh, is fabulous. Uh, my only um, wish is that uh, we could have gotten more of her insight because she was interviewing a, a very insightful and very experienced uh, uh, guest in Jim, Jim Rickards. I, I had forgotten that he was uh, at long-term capital management and was very much uh, playing a central role there in negotiating the rescue of long-term capital management by the Federal Reserve in 1998. And for those, I know that's ancient history. Uh, my my oldest son was born in 1998, and that, that makes me feel really real because he's a young man now. But um, that, in many ways, people credit as the genie out of the bottle in terms of the Fed coming to the, the rescue of the financial system. And, and, and you might even say the um, inception of the modern age of moral hazard um, by bailouts and things like that, because long-term capital management was a, a, a very high profile hedge fund at the time, literally um, staffed by the smartest guys on, on the planet, the financial planet anyways, several PhD and Nobel laureates and, uh, they had all the best models that were um, as bright as could be, and, and yet um, it couldn't keep them from imploding because their models got it wrong. Uh, and I think that's a cautionary tale that uh, here we are a uh, quarter century la later almost um, that is every bit as deserving of, of a reminder. I think Jim's perspective and experience in, in that war room, so to speak, is, is a cautionary tale for where we are today. He highlighted we have one quadrillion of derivatives in the system. Um, lots of models underlying those those uh, derivatives. Lots of models that are saying, just like subprime debt was rated AAA and uh, and safe for investors. A lot of assumptions built on models there in our modern financial system. That uh, when when we talk and, and many of your guests talk about the Fed will likely continue to raise rates uh, to to um, uh, address inflation until something breaks. Well, there's a lot of things that can break and a lot of places where things can break that even the smartest folks in the room probably don't really appreciate. So I, I just think it was a really fascinating big picture discussion that you know takes us away from some of the day-to-day -day micro stuff that Mike and I dive into on behalf of our clients and, and a really interesting uh, highlighting of, of where we are in the fragility of the modern financial system. Well, thanks, John. And you know, in terms of that fragility of the system, you know, you mentioned that Jim was one of the guys there during the um, uh, long-term capital management, and he helped actually unwind that. Uh, and so, you know, he he's got a real boots on the ground understanding for what happens when these uh, you know asset bubbles begin to burst. Um, he said that he's concerned that we may be heading into a recession. And a liquidity crisis. He said you can you can have one without the other, but he thinks we're we're in danger of having both, like we had in two thousand eight. And I don't think Jim is a, a guy who says that lightly because he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's he's, he's seen this before. 
um, and sees how how can, destructive it can be. Um, so I think that that was one big thing that I took away from here was Jim was just not saying, hey, I'm worried about lower stock prices, or I think we're going to have a recession because we're always eventually going to have one. He's saying, I think we're going to have, you know, something that could be on the scale of uh, a 2008 style crisis. Maybe, maybe not as big, but, but, but maybe, maybe, who knows? Um, one other thing I just wanted to react to is, uh, you know, Jim has a lot to say and Stephanie was playing the role of uh, interviewer, not interviewee this time. So um, I, I think she made the right call and, and, and let Jim run. I did just want to let you know and other Stephanie Pomboy fans know that um, we have just started this uh, new sort of program where I'll be having her on with some degree of regularity when something happens in the markets data wise that she's reacting to and and, and has some good immediate insights to share uh there's been enough data released this week that we've agreed that her next time in that hot seat is going to be early next week so if you want to hear the pure stephanie pomboy you're going to get that soon um all right mike uh anything to add to what john said there about jim's commentary yeah, no, Jim Jim was pretty instrumental in the long-term capital management bailout. And I've heard Jim say before, although I don't know that he said it during this interview, that in 1998, we bailed out Wall Street. In, 20, in 2008, we bailed out the banks. And now, you know, really we're looking at if we have another crisis of the, that magnitude of bailing out, oh, whatever, whatever word you want to use, bailing out the world, financial markets, bailing out the central banks, who's going to do that? And so, you know, there was a lot of kind of very somber talk in that in that interview, like there should be because of the place that the Fed has put us into a very fragile situation. So um, you know, he he said that we're in a recession, you know, no matter what the authorities say, we're certainly in a recession. We've had two quarters consecutively of declining or fl flat GDP, whatever number you want to believe but we're certainly in a recession and the the fed has been pretty complacent raising rates here even though they've gone up i guess he said from from zero or, or close to zero 325 basis points in just a few months that's a historic steep rise and they're likely to go up 75 basis points i, I think it's next week or maybe 100 basis points is now what the market is pricing in and still the market has not really reacted in a big way to the downside. Even though we had the largest down day in two years yesterday, the market is still only about 17.5% off its high as measured by the S&P. And at the same time, valuations are still in the stratosphere. So there's, there's plenty of risk that that's still you know, in, in these markets. And he talked a little bit about the dollar too, in that the dollar remains strong. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but he, I think, agrees with Brent Johnson and the dollar milkshake theory, and that the real reason is that there's a huge shortage of high quality U.S. collateral, and you know that, that makes sense to me. That's probably the reason. I don't think it's going to stay strong forever, but certainly from a technical and chart perspective, the dollar's been strong, and for fundamental reasons, the dollar's staying stronger probably longer than it really deserves to be given our crazy money printing and, and whatnot. So, and Jim talked a lot about reasons why the velocity of money has not increased. Um, so really all that's happened is we've really increased the, the Fed balance sheet and increased M1, but we really haven't created much wealth out of all of that. We've transferred wealth. So those are my two cents on, on what I saw. Yeah, and, and we've transferred wealth to a already wealthy and you know increasingly smaller and smaller percentage of the overall population. So it's a hugely unfair wealth transfer. Um, all right. So yeah, you talked about um, Jim talking about sort of the, the, the pace of change here in terms of uh, the interest rate hikes. Talked a bit about this in past videos, but I just want to reinforce for people that um, this is highly likely to create a shock, right? Um, you know, I've used the analogy of, of drinking a gallon of water, right? Easy to do over a week, very hard to do over 10 seconds, right? You can actually drown trying to drink it that fast. Um, that's the kind of shock that is happening to the economy right now with, with, with just the rate hikes alone, let alone QT now kicking in at the full 95 billion now that we're here in September. So as Jim said, um, the markets are dreaming of a soft landing, but he thinks it's going to be more like a plane crash, right? Um, and maybe that's slightly hyperbolic, but I think the point that he's making is, is he expects um, 
the Fed to keep doing what it's doing until, quote unquote, something breaks. And he said the same thing about the dollar. He said he thinks the dollar is going to keep rising until that breaking point. The very interesting thing is going to be, all right, what's going to happen after that breaking point, right? Um, Jim didn't get so much into it, but he did raise the the question of, you know, if the he said the Fed's doing what it's doing because it has to. It's got to get inflation under control. But if it breaks something and is forced to pivot, if inflation is not fully tamed by that point in time, then it will highly likely be re-inflamed by the Fed pivoting back to an easing stance. Um, so, you know, they didn't didn't have too much chance to get into it. But I believe that's why when Stephanie asked Jim, you know, okay, so what do you do? Um, you know, Jim said. Uh, what he really favors at this point in time were precious metals, both gold and silver, and to a certain extent, real estate. And um, I think part of that is for the you know the crisis protection, for the protection against inflation if the Fed pivots before it's fully tamed inflation. And also, Jim went on for a bit about uh, digital currencies and, and said that that's really one of the only ways to to escape that coming. Uh, you know, Orwellian uh, takeover, as he sees it, uh, is being in those kinds of of hard assets. Now, I know you guys are are big gold and silver um, advocates, um, and feel free to comment on your latest thoughts on those. Uh, the real estate one is really interesting. Um, you know, I, I've read Jim for many years. I, I know that he's looked into assets that have been the great crisis assets uh, over past centuries, and certainly precious metals and real estate are, are at the top of that list. The thing with real estate right now is as long as the Fed is continuing on this rate hike program, you know, it's it's stabbing a dagger into the heart of the housing market and then twisting it. Um, and, you know, mortgage rates have more than doubled uh, over the, the since a year ago, August. And honestly, at this rate, it may not be very long before they triple. Um, so uh, that just mathematically has to bring housing prices down. And we're already seeing a lot of markets cooling really hard, really fast right now. So um, I guess let me hand it back to you, John, to talk about sort of you know, your comments on, on Jim's big three assets there. But if you could tackle maybe real estate first in terms of how you guys are looking at it, um, let's do that. Yeah, we, uh, we, we do indeed. We've long uh, been proponents of having a, a material part of one's financial picture in real assets, real things that are tangible, can't be just fabricated out of thin air. So certainly precious metals, gold and silver and other precious metals can't be fabricated out of thin air. Real estate, the same. Certainly the prices of these assets can be influenced by things like monetary policy and, and real estate in particular, because it is oftentimes an asset that is, is debt financed in a big way. And in fact, it's uh, there's all kinds of incentives in the system to load up on on debt um, to to purchase real estate. And if if one property is not enough, why not buy ten and and borrow a bunch of money to, to finance the portfolio? Uh, all well and good as long as prices keep rising. But where they start to moderate or cool, that's where that that debt leverage um, starts to have have problems. So so yeah, we do we do like real estate longer term. We do think there's broadly speaking uh, some some pretty significant hot air that needs to be let out of that market. Uh, we did an earlier live Q&A with you uh, today, Adam, and, and, and Mike you know, commented uh, that we probably taken a guess, maybe think 20 or 30% downside in the, in the housing market. I think that's pretty reasonable um, guess uh, forecast, you know, where, where anybody, anybody's guess as to what, what it really will be. But that's, that's on the order, order of magnitude that we think is, is pretty, pretty logically um, in store for 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 pullback in prices. Just anecdotally, I, I you know one of the metrics I, I uh, unscientifically like to use is uh, many folks, myself included, get inundated with letters from real estate agents. You know, hey, is your house for sale? If not, would you like it to be? Or you know, just unsolicited letters on the on the real estate market. And I, I've seen a decided change in the tone of those letters lately. Ones not not like oh boy, you better sell your house, you're going to miss out. The letters have have very tonally been more of, hey, the real estate market's still fine. Don't worry. Don't you know? <laughs> you know, it's really uh, you know unscientific, but I think it speaks very clearly to the sentiment and the psychology that drives asset prices. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just pause there. I guess <laughs> yeah. maybe saying, please don't sell your house if you're going to list it for a lower price. 
Um, all right. Uh, well, look, Mike, we'll, we'll come to you in one sec. Um, uh, so today, I think, as you mentioned, Mike, um, we saw, or yesterday, we saw the biggest one-day sell-off in two and a half years. Right? I think the, the, the period that matched or the, 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 the day that was as, as deep as yesterday's was, I think, in July or June, maybe, actually, of 2020. Um, and that's when the world was really, you know, still panicking over the pandemic. Um, what sort of seemed to have triggered that was the um, August CPI print, which came in at 8.3, which was below July, uh, but higher than I guess the market was expecting. And uh, probably, this is, you know, my interpretation, but probably the market was hoping for an even lower CPI uh, to really give it confidence that, okay, the Fed's really getting on top of inflation here. We've passed peak inflation and the Fed's going to be wrapping up its rate hikes pretty soon then because it looks like inflation is contained. Uh, the fact that it didn't come down that probably forced the market to finally give up the ghost that that Jerome Powell uh, wasn't going to budge and that he is going to do what he says he's going to do, which is going to keep hiking rates basically for as long as he can get away with. Um, before that quote unquote something breaks. Um, so uh, look, we've seen um, big sell off in the market. Um, we've got CPI really high. Um, people are getting more worried and inflation's still high. Man, you would think that would be a great environment for the precious metals. Uh, and yet they're just not still catching much of a bit at this point. You got any perspective on that? I believe you're coming to me for that question, yeah, uh, yeah, you Adam. Yeah, it has been disappointing. You know, everything took off in 2021, a blow off top and everything except for gold and silver. And that's been a bit concerning. I, I don't really have a good answer for that. And I'm not sure that I actually caught G Jim with an ex uh, hearing Jim with an explanation for that either, other than um, it has just been dollar strength. It's been fighting dollar strength. The, the US dollar is up 15% this year. You know, and gold is sitting here at about six, uh, 17. 10, 17, 20, just above its critical support zone of 16, uh, 1680 or so. So you know, to me, the technicals still look intact, although it's been it's been somewhat marginal, honestly, uh, particularly year to date. And uh, just kind of just kind of hanging in there, languishing. We still think that gold and silver are going to hang in there, even if the S&P were to take a big dive down. Maybe we would see another $100 or so downside in gold. But even so, we think it would be the first thing to recover. I can't really explain. I don't have a, a good technical reason for why the precious metals were left out of the everything rally last year. Yeah, I really don't. All right. Well, look, um, uh, for those that, uh, you know, are uh, own them, thinking of owning them from all the the times we've discussed it and other guests have discussed it on here. Um, uh, you know, I think last time we talked, Mike, you, you'd said that, hey, you know, if anything, um, just sort of look at this as a good accumulation period. Um, I was interviewing Mike Maloney the other day from goldsilver.com, and he was basically thanking, you know, the uh, whatever forces were bringing these lower prices down to say, hey, you know, phenomenal time to be doing your dollar cost averaging. Hopefully that proves to be the case. One of the reasons why I bring this up is because, um, you know, gold uh, tends to thrive in crises, right? It's 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 a bit of a crisis trade, uh, safe haven trade. And when we were talking in the um, the live Q and A that you referenced earlier, um, you know, you guys and Mike Leibowitz just rattled off a very long laundry list of reasons to be concerned uh, about what's going on in the economy right now, right? And um, we didn't really even get much onto the the um, energy side of things, but you know we've got a full blown energy crisis going on worldwide, particularly in Europe, right? So there's so many factors to that uh, that we don't know how they're going to play out here. Obviously, we still have the war in Ukraine going on, and that seems to be devolving right now. Just was reading articles this morning about Ukraine applying for. NATO-like protection, um, not necessarily NATO, and Russia basically saying, hey, if you guys go there, then this is basically World War III and nukes come on the table, right? So there's a whole geopolitical risk set out there still that's, we don't know how it's going to resolve. And then even just here in the States, I was just reading an article right before we hopped on here. Um, 
that uh, there is a big stalemate right now between the railroad unions and the railroads. And if it's not resolved by this Friday, 125,000 union railroad workers are going to go on strike. And it's basically going to shut down um, at least all the commercial rail that's going on, uh, if not bite into the retail rail transport too, uh, passenger rail. So, you know, I don't even know if that's been on people's radars right now, but we just have these sort of swirling gray and black swans out there that, uh, to, to my count, they're just they're too many for comfort here, right? Any one or two of these land in addition to what we're already dealing with, and we could be upside down very quickly. That that plane crash landing that that uh, Jim was talking about, you know, becomes even more probable in that scenario here. So I guess the point I want to just get out here is, is it feels like the risks are weighted so much to the downside right now that, you know, defense, safety assets, whatnot, it, it feels fairly hard to go wrong with playing that game. The worst thing that happens is maybe you lose a little bit of upside if for some reason there is a bullish resurgence here. But man, I got to tell you, it is really hard to try to come up with a compelling bull case right now and really easy to get yourself worried. Uh, let me go back to you, John, to react. Yeah, it's, it's really hard, Adam, for all those reasons, uh, but especially because we still remain at asset valuations that uh, are amongst the top two, two or three uh, extremes in all of history. Um, so, so all those reasons haven't yet even been really priced into markets in any way whatsoever. We're still very, very overvalued. Uh, it was referenced here. We've talked about it, and Stephanie uh, commented today, today that uh, I think for the consumer discretionary sector, which is is the most discretionary spending uh, in theory, anyways, uh, for for strained consumers, analysts are still projecting 16 percent annual profit growth uh, in, in that sector. Um, none of that seems to jive with, with those kinds of scenarios that seemingly are, are very likely to come in terms of recession and, and, and inflationary uh, pinches. So we have a market that's still grossly uh, overvalued relative to all, all, almost all of history. Uh, margins, corporate margins that are still amongst the, the richest in history. And that's one of the things that is reliably over history been the most uh, reliably mean reverting over time because when margins get super wide competition and, and pricing pressures and things like that come to narrow them so we have a we have a perfect we have a perfectly priced market going headlong into an economic situation that seems almost certain to become increasingly con uh, concerning all right thanks and hey I just want to underscore real quickly for viewers too so uh as has come up in, in many of the recent videos we've done here, um, the financial advisors like John and Mike that we've had on, uh, the experts like Jim Rickards and a number of others have all underscored that like this is a really tricky time uh, to try to figure out what's going to happen next because there's so much uncertainty swirling out there, as I listed earlier. Um, and so, you know, for those of you watching, uh, I know that the number one question on your, your minds is, is, well, then what do we do, right? How do we protect our wealth through such a, you know, an obscure and darkening, uh, you know, forward path as it seems like we have here? And I just want to remind folks that that is the focus of Wealthion's Fall Conference, which is coming up in just a week and a half now. It's Saturday, September 24th. It's an all-day event. Um, and I just want to remind folks that if you haven't registered for it yet, there is still a last price discount that you can take advantage of. There's a 15% last chance to save discount if you go right now to Wealthion.com slash conference. You can still get that uh, before it expires on midnight this coming Saturday. After that, you got to pay the full price. Um, and just for you know, folks that aren't familiar with, with the amazing faculty we have there, we've got Lacey Hunt, Lynn Alden, Matt Taibbi, uh, Grant Williams, Stephanie Pomboy, Alf Pecatiello. We've got uh, Nick Gurley. We've got uh, Nick Gurley. We've got um, Doomberg. We've got Brent Johnson. Um, we've got uh, Rick Rule. We've got Mike Maloney, Jeff Clark. Uh, we've got the guys from New Harbor. We've got uh, Lance from uh, Real Investment Advisors. Uh, there's going to be a ton of interactive Q&A there as well, probably more than we've actually ever had before at our conferences. So lots of opportunities for you to actually ask your questions directly of these uh, great speakers. So anyways, um, 
uh, just hammering this home because it's only a week and a half away, and I want to make sure as many people as possible get that uh, that discount. So go to wealthion.com slash conference. All right, Mike Preston, coming to you now. So as we begin to wrap up here, uh, I know you guys are on the phones every day with clients and with prospects trying to make sense of all this. What's sort of your parting advice for people, um, you know, that are wrestling with with that question I just mentioned earlier, um, you know, given the basis of your discussions? What, what do you guys, what kind of counsel are you offering right now? For a lot of years, Adam, there, there's been this narrative, this, this saying on Wall Street that there is no alternatives to overpriced stocks because cash was yielding zero and there was nowhere else to go. Here at the top or probably what is past the top of the largest bubble in our lifetimes, there's finally an alternative. Short-term cash, three three-month treasury bills are paying over 3%, 3.2% or so. Uh, roughly when I last looked this afternoon. So um, number one bit of advice would be to sell down your exposure. The old 60-40 portfolio is probably not going to fare well um, throughout the next couple of years. We think we're in, a, in the very beginning of a true bear market, a large bear market, and the indexes are probably going to surprise to the downside. And like other bear markets throughout history, they don't usually just correct a fair value they usually overshoot. We can't, can't predict what this is going to look like, but we can say this, this Fed put that we talked earlier today in the live Q&A about, about potentially going away. And I, I think it was actually Daniel Martino Booth that said that recently, that Powell is likely wanting to erase from investors' minds this idea of a Fed put. It's going to take a lot of pain to do that. And the valuations are extreme and very rich, like John just said. It's going to take a lot of downside action to bring all of the excesses out of this market. I think mathematically, if you believe in history and you look at statistically reliable methods of valuation or, or measures of valuation, that we can expect to make no money in the S&P 500 from current levels if you were to invest in them today or stay invested in them today. So reduce your allocations to stocks 30% or less, in my opinion. You know, certainly if you're 60, 70, 80% invested, become un or less invested in stocks and take that money and put it into short-term treasury bills. Or I think like Michael said um, from RIA on the earlier Q&A, look at something like an ETF even, uh, maybe BIL or something similar that, 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 that invests in treasury bills. You can get close to 3% on short-term money now. It's not hard. So we presently hold a large amount of cash. We're waiting for better opportunities. We have you know, roughly 50% cash and cash equivalents right now, looking for better times to invest. So number one, reduce allocations to stocks, hold some cash, get ready to buy what are likely to be better prices in the next year or two, both in the stock market and the real estate market for that matter. And if you don't have exposure to gold and silver, it's a fantastic time, in our opinion, to do that. Five or ten percent of your investable assets could be or should be invested in gold and silver, in our opinion. All right, uh, it's great counsel, Mike, and and just your point about how much short-term T-bills are are yielding right now. Um, on our earlier Q and A, I, I took a minute to rant against how, uh, even though the Fed funds rate is now like you know two and a quarter uh, to two and a half, and it's going up above three within the month, likely. Um, yeah, the banks are still yielding, you know, 0 0.01, 0 0.05, you know, on, on savings accounts. I mean, they're they're literally still paying you nothing on money that you're having a, in a savings account at a bank. Um, of course, if you want to borrow from them, especially if you've got a credit card from them, you know, they're willing to charge you exorbitant rates. I think the average credit card interest uh, has hit a record high now of, of about 18% or so on average. Um, so it's just criminal what they're doing. Well, hey, look, if you've got money in, in a bank um, and, and let's say you want to keep it, you know, that powder nice and dry. Well, you can just open a Treasury Direct account and you can just put, uh, you know, you can basically just do a sweep where you say, OK, look, I'm going to put that cash in a, a Treasury Direct uh, three month T-bill. And, um, you know, you can either have Treasury Direct continue to roll that over uh, until you want it back. Um, and whenever you do, you just say, okay, the next time this three-month uh, renewal window comes up, Treasury Direct, don't renew it, just deposit the funds back into my bank account. It's super easy. It takes you literally minutes to set that up, folks. Um, it's way better than earning zero 
So anyways, just a little little tip there. John, I'll let you have the last word as we conclude here. Yeah, Adam, just one one little more feather of, of anger I can throw. <laughs> you talked about the banks uh, lending out at, at, you know, paying out interest on deposits at essentially zero and lending, happy to lend it out at now much higher uh, lending rates. The other really angering part of that story is banks that are parking the excess reserves at the Federal Reserve and not lending them out. They're getting paid a healthy what's called I, interest on excess reserves, I-O-E-R. Uh, and, and the Fed purposely has set this up to, to uh, incent the banks to put those reserves on uh, park at the, at the Fed. So these are, these are dollars, these are payments to the banks, private banks, I'll, I'll remind you, that would otherwise being, be remitted to the U.S. Treasury uh, to defray the tax load that we taxpayers all have to pay. So, so many folks aren't even, maybe even in politicians who are in charge with overseeing this whole thing, aren't even aware of this. It's, it's really egregious that banks are, are paying nothing and they're getting paid a healthy rate, free money, essentially. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a spread is free money for them. Yep. It, it's really egregious. Um, I wish more people knew about this and, and could could express their you know displeasure with that. But yeah, just wrapping up, I, I would just, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about markets and economies. The other thing we do all the time with our clients is we talk to them and, and we are practitioners of really practical hands-on financial planning stuff too. You know, whether it's social security planning, whether it's, um, you know, planning for uh, thoughtful timing of distributions from tax deferred accounts, you know, keeping in mind different tax brackets and timelines uh, and, and vagaries of future tax, rate, tax rates. Uh, those are things that are every bit as important for folks to attend to as relates to their own situation. And these are things you can control. A lot of the things we talk about in terms of markets being overvalued and distorted, we, we can't control. That's out of our control and your control and our client's control. But there are things you can control. You can, you know, uh, delever your own balance sheet, uh, refinance debt, uh, although that, that train has kind of left the station a bit with, with rising interest rates. But you can pay down debt. You can um, simplify your life. You can find ways to... to save um, by going out to eat less or maybe you know saving on commute time because you can work remotely a whole bunch of things that you know i just want to remind folks when you feel helpless or or taken by the system just remember there are lots of things you can do and, and we can certainly help you as really the financial matters to kind of take back some control and 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 work on those things you can control that's a great point you know like paying paying down a six percent mortgage if you just took one out, you know that's uh, that's a guaranteed six percent return right there, right? Paying off uh, credit card debt that's in the double digits, guaranteed double digit return on your investment right there, right? Um, all right, well, great points, guys. Um, in just wrapping up here, folks. Um, again, you know, very hard times uh, to navigate. That's why so often in this channel we recommend people work with a good financial advisor to be their guide through all of this. If you've got a good one, great, stick with them. Um, but if you don't, or you would like a second opinion from one who understands all of the macro issues that uh, Stephanie and Jim talked about in this interview, um, perhaps even talking to the guys here at New Harbor, John and Mike themselves, uh, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there. You can get a free consultation. There's no commitment behind it at all. It's just your chance to sit and talk with these guys, tell them your personal story, hear their best advice about what they think you should do. You can go off and do that with your existing advisor. You can do it yourself. Or if you like what you hear and you think you might want to learn more about these guys, just keep on talking to them. Uh, but again, totally costless. So to set that up, go to Wealthion.com. Um, uh, remember the conference. Um, I'll put a link to it down here for those who just want to link directly, but it's Wealthion.com slash conference. Uh, and last, uh, if you enjoyed Stephanie interviewing Jim, want to see more great interviews of great minds like Jim and more interviews by the wonderful Stephanie Pomboy, uh, do me a favor and just hit the like button and then click the red subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And whatever happens from here uh, in the markets over the next week, you know, can't guarantee what's going to happen in the markets, but we can guarantee that we will be here, John, Mike, and I making sense for it, uh, uh, making sense of it for you next week. John and Mike, thanks so much for giving us another great week of your insights and analysis. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Thank you, Adam. Great to be with you again. Thank you, Adam. Really enjoyed it. And we'll see you soon. 
If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.